one minute at a time. I was blind, but now I see. Working jobs we hate, so we can buy shit we don't need. Ideas are brittle. If you had one shot, everything I'd ever read, heard, seen was now organized and available. Now you fucking khakis. Life moves pretty fast. The Biohacking Secret Show. Does your story play a role in cardiovascular health? Like, not mine personally. I, mean, I wanted to be a physician since so I was like in fourth grade. Okay. Uh, and cardiology was very interesting when I was going through training, but did the prevent, you know, conventional training and then really kind of fell down the rabbit hole in my third year of training, saying, like, you know, why do these people keep coming back with all this heart disease? You know, what can we do to kind of get to the root cause? So then eventually, you know, went down the kind of functional medicine route. I was looking at advanced lipids and inflammation for a couple of years. Did some training with Dr. Mark Houston and Joel Kahn. And then I uh, came upon like the biohacking world in 2017 when I was going to do a trip over to uh, Bhutan. And it was like, you know, a 14 hour flight from St. Louis. And I was like, man, the jet lag is going to kill me. So uh, like, how do I kind of mitigate that? So I came upon some article from Asprey talking about blue blocking glasses. Did not understand the science at that point. Just bought the glasses, warm on the plane, you know, looked like the Unabomber, looked insane on the plane. And made over to Thailand and the jet lag really wasn't that bad. So I was like, there's something to this light thing. Let me go reading about it. And then when I got back, start reading a lot about it. And then somehow stumbled upon Jack Cruz's world and then really went deep down the rabbit hole to light water magnetism stuff. Nice. Very cool. All right. Well, I, we're rocking. Let's just, let's just keep this, this party train rolling. Um, what, what were you seeing your third year uh, was it residency that you said? So it was my cardiology fellowship. So I did basically 10 years of training after college. So it's four years of medical school, three years of internal medicine. Took a four-year break with the Navy. Was an internist for the Navy for a while. Then came back and did three years of cardiology fellowship. And by the end of my three years, I really thought I was going to be an interventional cardiologist and be doing stents and, you know, fixing people up, you know, with acute problems. And it's exciting. And we're always going to need those, you know, kind of doctors. But and the same patients are coming back every six to 12 months. I was like, man, we, you know, we have them on, quote, statins and blood pressure meds and aspirin. But that doesn't really seem to be the reason why they're, you know, not having more events. So really start looking at the advanced lipid profiles and the inflammatory markers and, you know, doing some of those panels initially. And I was getting better results for my patients, but I still knew there was something more. And then once I really kind of realized, you know, the power of the mitochondria for the heart, I really kind of dug deep into that in the past, you know, 18 months or so and started up a new practice last year, which exclusively focuses on heart attack and stroke prevention. What, what do you believe are the real causes of heart disease? Main ones are going to be, you know, inflammation, oxidation, and then also kind of immune dysregulation or autoimmune issue that's attacking your blood vessels. Um, but inflammation, I usually tell patients that it's the uh, it's your immune system turned on. You want your immune system turned on when you got an infection, but you don't want your immune system always turned on. And if your immune system's turned on and you have these different cytokines and things that your immune system are supposed to go out there and attack the viruses and the bacteria, your blood vessels have to transport these cytokines in the system. And these things can kind of scratch up the arteries. And if the arteries continually get scratched up, then there's more likely uh, plaque will build up in the walls of the artery. And then oxidation is just, I usually you know, explain to people, it's like rusting of an, you know, an apple. You know, the apple's exposed to oxygen, it starts turning brown. Well, you know, when you're eating foodstuffs and your mitochondria is breaking it down, the you know, protons, electrons, you know, there's a process of using oxygen to do that process. And if uh, you make too many free radicals that uh, escape the mitochondria, then other things start to rust. And the rusted stuff looks like bacteria to the body and your body sends out the immune system to start attacking the oxidated things. That makes sense. Now, if we were to get to some of the root causes of 
the inflammation and the oxidation that then lead to heart disease or cerebrovascular disease? What are, what are some of the, the, the lifestyle habits, the choices, the genetics, if, there, if there's a role there that you see contributing most to the inflammation and oxidation? So I, you know, I totally agree. You know, it's mostly epigenetics. It's you know, it's your environment. Probably in eighty percent of the story, um, your genetics has a role in certain aspects. But most of the time, it's you know, higher mitochondria are sensing the environment, and the mitochondria are the you know the power palaces of the cell. And your heart and brain are the most uh, dense places with mitochondria. So if the mitochondria fail in the heart, then you kind of get a brownout of energy, and then you get a cardiomyopathy. You get a weak heart. Um, so always kind of start with the mitochondria, and that's you know get the data off the 23andMe and figure out what your mitochondrial haplotype is, figure out where your mom's people, your mom's mom's people came from. That gives you a good starting point if light or cold is really going to drive the uh, drive the system. Um, but really looking at the health of the mitochondria, you know, the, the engines. So, you know, if your mitochondria aren't healthy, then the oxidation the, and the uh, inflammation is going to be much more common. Um, and it's mostly going to be related to the circadian mismatches that people uh, tie themselves into where they're getting stuck inside 90% of the time and they're using the technology outside of, uh, you know, sun up to sundown and your body's really just not supposed to be seeing these different wavelengths of light late into the evening time. Have you measured the health of your mitochondria? I've not directly. Um, I mean, indirectly, you can somewhat tell by um, some of your biomarkers and labs, you know, if you have a lot of inflammation, probably your mitochondria aren't working very well. Um, but I, you know, routinely monitor my heart rate variability in the morning. That's a usually pretty good sign of your overall systemic health, especially your cardiovascular health. And to, you know, today in the days of COVID, you know, HRV or heart rate variability is one of the first metrics that usually goes haywire when you're about to get a virus uh, infection, you know, taken hold. But if you have really poor HRV or really poor sleep long term you likely have very poor mitochondrial function. Do, do you feel that there is a role in low-level chronic infections of the herpes family, Epstein-Barr, Lyme disease, Bartonella, some of, some of these things that, um, do you believe that they are playing a role in that inflammation and oxidation um, that then can over years or even decades lead to cardiovascular issues or cerebrovascular issues? I definitely think the, you know, the chronic infections can play a role as can heavy metals, but I don't always think they're the, the primary source. I think really still the primary source is people's circadian rhythm mismatches. Um, and, you know, as a cardiologist, you know, I don't routinely check the, uh, the different antibody titers towards the chronic infections. I have colleagues in the area that can do that if I really think somebody's, you know, chronic Lyme, but uh, one of the things I, you know, learned from Dr. Cruz is, you know, it's the, the saying, you know, it's redox before you detox. So, you know, your redox potential is, you know, how much energy can your mitochondria make? If your mitochondria have good redox potential, they're much better at uh, detoxing whatever you're being exposed to. And so if someone listening is wondering, uh, they'd like to assess the health of their circadian rhythm, right? Like, what what do you believe is the best way to to get that data? First thing is just a thorough history of, you know, what does a 24-hour cycle look like for that person? So from sunup to sundown and, you know, if you're up before sunrise, what happens? So usually tell patients kind of my story, what, you know, I eventually was able to kind of get my uh, cycles into is, you know, I usually wake around 5 a.m. It's before sunrise here in St. Louis at this time. So I always put on my blue blocking glasses before that time and don't expose myself to a bunch of artificial light much like you got going on right there. My house looks like a submarine in the morning time and you know, it's all red light or UV light in the morning. 
I've got a uh, an EMR. I got a couple. There's two EMRs. I got the EMR okay. Tech Firewave over here, and then I got their their big granddaddy. You guys that are listening yeah. to this can't see it, but it's about a four foot panel of red and infrared light. Uh, which one? Which one do you use? And then we'll yeah, th- those guys are great. Yeah, I, I use the Firewave for the most part. Yeah, uh, and then has some other uh, devices. I'm currently wearing the Weber Laser Watch. It's their Spectre. What's that? Yeah, this thing's pretty awesome. So you can see it's got red lasers in there, but it also has blue, green, and yellow. That Weber can... Laser Watch? Yeah. It Is this like what, what Cruz and, and Ruben were doing with the Quantlet? It's a little bit different um, where this does not have UV built into it and it does not have a cooling mechanism. Okay. But the, the Weber guys are out of Germany and that's where a lot of the, the photobiomodulation data came out of. You know, it was mostly Russia and Germany and the Cold War kind of hit a lot of that stuff from... Uh, you know, our eyes for quite a while, but they're developing some very interesting. Um, that is cool. Uh, so just to describe this to the listeners, yeah. like you're wearing a watch that's on your radial and mm-hmm. ulnar arteries Correct. and, and I can see light. So that's like a healthy Apple watch. Correct. Yeah. It's a very healthy <laughs> Apple watch and it you know, helps with jet lag mitigation. It helps with, you know, when you're sitting inside under artificial light, some will balance out the, you know, the red and blue spectra. Um, you know, is it, you know, is it good as the, uh, you know, Quantlet, I don't know for sure. I know the Quantlet's been out of uh, production for a little while. And I know Ruben was, you know, was working on version two, but I haven't seen it go live yet. Yeah, I, I bought one of the originals and I couldn't get mine working. I really, <laughs> really wanted it to, but it was, it was straight up busted. And then they couldn't, they didn't have enough in stock to even replace it. So Ruben just gave me a, a refund, but I was, I was very excited. Is this spelled W-E-B-E-R? Correct. Weber Laser Watch. All right, I'm going to... I'm gonna have to check that. What is what is one of those uh, daddies run? Uh, they have a couple different models, and uh, this one's probably about fifteen hundred bucks. So they're not cheap, and this is something that I would probably would use. You know, yeah, I'm a you know, I don't want to say a professional, but at least a semi-professional biohacker. So I could justify the cost, and I could let patients play around with it. Um, but the people who would benefit most would be somebody who has heart disease, autoimmune condition, cancer, and they really need to assimilate more light. I'm always gonna tell you get outside in the sun, and you know, I, I do like the MRs as well, and I frequently recommend patients get that, but if they need even more than this, and then, um, you know, I've done it once for myself to see what it was like, but the Weber people actually have some called the Weber endo laser and it's intravenous laser. So you get an IV put in, they put a fiber optic cable in the vein, and then you dial in whatever wavelengths of light you want to use to treat yourself with. Yeah. Those, uh, there was a, a company UVLRX, um, mm-hmm. and, and they had something similar with, I believe it was like a red, a green and a purple. Um, and they kind of got, you know, pushed out by the medical right. mafia as tends to happen in right. certain situations, if, if your shit's good. Um, all right, beautiful. Did you notice a difference when you started using the Weber laser watch? So Any actually changes, not tremendous. And it's probably because, uh, yeah, I consider myself a fairly healthy individual. You know, I do my routine monitoring with my you know, heart rate variability. If you know, I had the ring for a couple of years and spot check my sleep and I've been wearing it more often now just because of some of the metrics that can come off the ring that could tell you if you're being more exposed to, to COVID or not. Yeah, um, that's why I stopped wearing mine too. So for those of you guys that, that are rocking an aura ring, uh, this is me saying it. Uh, they're tracking your temperature. They're doing, they're using the same BS that Apple just threw on everyone's phones without asking for contact tracing. So like, this is another way where you could be, if this goes more, uh, draconian, you could be possibly pulled from your home or any of the crazy stuff that's going on in China already. Um, so be aware of, of what, 
devices you're carrying around with you that allow you to be contact traced. And this now includes the aura ring and that's why I've stopped wearing mine. Yeah. And then, you know, I got this Weber laser watch right in March, right before it all started hitting, you know, where I'm at. Um, and so, you know, I've not done a whole lot of traveling since uh, March. Um, mm-hmm. But if I start traveling more, I would definitely use it for jet lag. And, you know, if I had more of an autoimmune issue, I would definitely be using it more often. Beautiful. From everything you know, what do you believe are the most important labs to get to assess your risk of a cardiovascular or cerebral vascular event? So I typically do a fairly comprehensive blood work panel in patients who come to see me for cardiovascular risk assessment. Um, and, you know, most people probably have their traditional cholesterol panel checked and maybe an A1C or 90 to average blood sugar. But those are just kind of a starting points. So there's more advanced lipid testing that you can look at where you're actually looking at the particles. The particles are what actually sort of drive the cholesterol around the system. And, and the those particle are the size, right? And the particle size is secondary. So it's kind of like cars on the highway. The more cars you have on the highway, the more risk that these things are banging into your arteries and getting stuck in them. So it's predictive of risk that the cholesterol by itself is not necessarily predictive because half the people that come into the hospital with heart attacks have, quote, normal cholesterol. But if you check the particle number, they're probably likely very elevated. And then like you were saying, size, size is important. You know, if your artery is like a tennis net, uh, the particles can be big like a tennis ball. They're not getting through there or they can be small like a golf ball and they're more likely to get through the net. And so small particles, they stick around in the system longer and they're just more likely to get oxidized, more likely to get rusted. And so it's damaged cholesterol particles that are usually getting stuck in the walls of the arteries. That makes sense. How did you do in school? You seem like a pretty smart dude. Um, I, I did pretty well, but uh, I can actually tell you that like medical school kicked my ass initially because I'm most people that had, you know, photographic memory, you know, for like high school and college. And so I didn't think it was necessarily easy, but you know, I was once people like crammed, you know, the night before tests and usually get past most tests, but the med school is like, you know, drinking from a fire hose. There's no way you can like cram medical school into your brain. Um, and I actually, you know, you know, got crushed in, you know, human anatomy the first, uh, first semester. So I am actually repeating human anatomy to, to be able to continue my medical school training. But, um, you know, but honestly, like med school was great for many things, but I've had to unlearn so much of what I learned in med school to be able to actually understand what actually drives human health. And, you know, I basically had to reteach myself a lot of this, you know, quantum physics and how light actually interacts with your body. I had to do that all on my own on the past couple of years. Yeah. What, what are the biggest lies or myths that, that many people believe around heart health? That cholesterol is the absolute be all end all of heart disease. You know, cholesterol is one of the things that can cause an issue uh, with your arteries and cholesterol is always going to be in plaques in your heart arteries, your carotid arteries, but it's not the number one thing that's driving your risk. It's the damage cholesterol. That's the big issue. And it's the inflammation that damages the cholesterol. Um, so, you know, I, learned that, you know, there may be three to 400 variables that actually drive vascular disease. So if you've had just cholesterol checked, your blood pressure, you know, you're not diabetic or you smoke, or, you know, if you're overweight, you know, kind of the five big things, that's a good starting point, but there may be 395 other things you maybe need to take a look at. And it's again, on that advanced lipid panel, you get, you know, the particle number, particle size, inflammatory markers like CRP, LPPLA2, myeloproxidase, some called lipoprotein A, which 20% of the population has. It's sort of like LDL, but it's more likely to put uh, plaque into your arteries and more likely to cause blood clots. Um, and it's not checked on a routine cholesterol panel. So that's every single one of my patients gets that checked at least once. And if it's high, then uh, there's some other things you can do to try to lower the risk. There's not great medications or supplements right now to lower LPA, but those people need to be monitored more closely. 
This episode is also brought to you by Buy Optimizers and the Biohacking Secrets Upgraded Digestion Package. So if any of you guys are dealing with suboptimal digestion, characterized by gas, bloating, your stomach feeling distended or like it's sticking out after certain meals, if you get sluggish, if you deal with constipation or diarrhea, you're going to want to pay attention because it usually comes down to one of three things being off. The first is low stomach acid production. The second is low enzyme production. And the third is gut dis dysbiosis, meaning you have too many of the quote unquote bad bugs in your gut and not enough of the good ones. And the Bioptimizers Biohacking Secrets Upgraded Digestion Package addresses all of these root causes of suboptimal digestion. It's the best value you could possibly get if you are looking to take 30 days and turn your digestion completely around. And you can get that for just 177 bucks. It's usually 270 bucks by going to buyoptimizers.com forward slash biohacks. That's B I. I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash B-I-O-H-A-C-K-S to check out the exclusive Biohacking Secrets upgraded digestion package for just 177 bucks today. I heard an interesting theory from Dr. Frank Schallenberger. I don't know if it's even a theory or if he considers it, it proven, but I'm interested on your take. He's had situations where people had like 95% blockages. And when he started doing heavy metal chelation with them, the blockages almost completely reversed and, and disappeared, specifically when he was using chelation therapy combined with ozone, like something that he calls keyzone. Have you noticed a correlation with plaque and heavy metal toxicity? And have you seen a similar benefit when you do a heavy metal detoxification or chelation protocol that plaque starts to diminish? That definitely is possible. I don't personally chelate. I do have some colleagues and friends in town that can do that if I need patients to get assessed for that. But uh, even the um, federal government did a trial a few years ago called the TAC trial, and they're currently doing the TAC2 trial. And that was the first trial, at least that the general cardiologist took aware of, that showed that chelation therapy could actually lower events in people. It was mainly in the diabetic population. So TAC2 is mainly focusing on those population. But the way that chelation works, um, at least the explanation that I you know, best understand at this time, is that it's not necessarily like sucking the plaque out of the walls of the artery, but it's lowering the inflammation because it's removing the heavy metals. And then the body's able to repair the damage. And then the plaque will start regressing with that. So I usually tell people, you know, Mother Nature is very wise. You know, it's great that we got these pills and procedures when people have acute heart attacks and we need to stop them. But get out of Mother Nature's way and let the body start healing itself. And so if you remove the heavy metals, you know, if you can remove the source, why they keep coming into you, do that first. But if it's present, you know, do your, you know, sauna therapies, you know, sweat it out. And then also, you know, if you really need a chelation, you know, work with a provider that's, you know, well experienced in that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, he, he'd even mentioned something that I thought was interesting that, uh, where it might even be like a, pr a protective mechanism, like an adaptation to get heavy metals out of your, at least prevent them from reaching like certain vital organs. You take them out of circulation and, and encapsulate them in, you know, a plaque or something. Anyhow, uh, I digress. Do you, what's your take on LDL cholesterol? Because we've heard everything from like, it's the devil to it may be associated with longevity. And, uh, What's your take on that from what you've seen and what you know? So LDL is one of the things that, you know, uh, every single patient that comes to see a cardiologist is going to ask, you know, what is my, quote, bad cholesterol? And then it usually starts to me educating that there's no such thing as bad cholesterol. There's just cholesterol, you know. Every cell in your body needs cholesterol. You make your 
cell membranes with it. You make your bile acids with it. You make your testosterone, your sex hormones with it. You know, most some, of those, some of those myelin but, sheaths too, right? right? But your nerves, your brain is all made of cholesterol. So cholesterol wasn't put into you by mother nature to give you heart attacks or strokes. So first educate them on that aspect. But then that LDL by itself, the LDL-C, which is given to you in a standard lipid profile, really doesn't predict for it risk very well because you don't know if it's the small LDL or if it's the really big LDL. Mm-hmm. Um, so you need an LDL particle number to know that if it's a, a risky type of thing. But you know, if somebody has had an event, meaning they've had a heart attack, a stroke, they got a stent in their heart, they've had bypass surgery, those people are high risk, and then they may need to be on medications that lower their LDL particle numbers down to reduce their second events. But for primary prevention, meaning somebody who's never had an event, just trying to lower cholesterol to lower events, you know, you got to treat a whole lot of people for that one person to benefit. And there may be some people that are getting some uh, side effects from it. So I personally don't just blindly start treatment on people. You know, I want to know how healthy are their arteries. And so that's where I kind of do some of those uh, non-invasive testing to look at the health of their arteries. You know, the two main ones I do are the CT coronary calcium score and the uh, carotid intimal medial thickness scan. If either of those tests are abnormal, then that indicates that the LDL cholesterol at some point in your life has gotten oxidized, inflamed, and it's starting to get stuck into your arteries, then you probably need to do something about it. But if you have a calcium score of zero and you have a normal CIMT or credit intimal medial thickness scan, cholesterol is probably not the biggest issue. Just keep doing what you need to do from a lifestyle standpoint. Interesting. Okay. Hey, Kumba, <laughs> knock it off, man. Sorry. It's my, no worries. My, my puppy is usually, he usually doesn't rattle off 30 in a row, but he, he's, he's, he's on one. Um, what, what, what is your, here, how about this? Are you a vegan? No. What is your take on people who are eating vegan because they believe it's good for their heart? Not the people themselves, that, that, that philosophy. Sure. So you're right. And you kind of, kind of got to split it up in two, two aspects, you know, you know, veganism, because ethically that's what you believe in. That's totally different. Totally different. different. You know, you're vegan because you think it's the absolute healthiest thing for your heart. The challenges are going to be in that, you know, if you really exclude DHA from your diet, you're going to have a hard time having optimal mitochondria. And it's not something that you can take in a supplement form and get it into the system the same way as Mother Nature intended it. So veganism can be a right direction if you were starting with a standard American crap diet. You know, veganism people can do well for a while. But typically, you know, within a year or two, they may not keep feeling as well as they did when they first started. Um, so they, they're frequently missing out on some of the B vitamins and especially the DHA that's mainly in the cold water fish. Mm-hmm. And then there's usually a lot of latitude around grains because those, I mean, many, anyway, we won't get into that. Uh, <laughs> let's, let's play a fun game. Let's, let's imagine you've got 30 seconds and you're allowed to rattle off any tests that you would want to include for someone that uh, wants to optimize their heart health. And then at the end, I'll let you know when 30 seconds is up okay. and, and and there's no price. You just rattle them off and, and, sure. and these are the ones you'd get. And then we're going to synthesize it down to if you were only allowed to pick five, what would those five be? So I'm giving you both the questions because the first one's timed and it might allow you to think about the second one while you go. Ready? Okay, sure. Go. CT coronary calcium score, credit minimum wheel thickness testing, endopat testing for endothelial function, and then labs would be HSCRP, myeloproxidase, LPPLA2, F2 isoprostine, uh, LDL particle number, LDL particle size, 
15 DMA, seconds left. DMAO, vitamin D, uh, hemoglobin A1C, fasting insulin, fasting glucose, LP, little a, APOE, 9P21 genotype, KIF6 genotype, SLCL1B1. That's probably... It's time! Nice job! Heck yeah. of a job there. That was, that was, that was pretty impressive. All right. Now, no time. Uh, we're done with that. <laughs> I'll try not to do it ever again. <laughs> no, but that's actually, that's actually fun. I was having a blast. Yeah. Good, very good job. And then, uh, but now what, if you're only allowed five, what are like your five bang for the buck labs for someone who wants to optimize their cardiovascular health? So if I've, you know, there's five tests, I would initially start with the CT core and your calcium score if you're over the age of 40 or have any risk factors, because that's going to tell you what else you need to do. If your calcium score is zero, keep doing what you're doing. If your calcium score is greater than 400, you're a high-risk individual. You need to work with somebody like myself or somebody who understands you know, preventive cardiology. Um, but if you're not doing imaging and you're just doing blood work, I would start with a high-sensitivity CRP. It's a good global marker of inflammation. An LDL particle number will tell you, you know, if you really want a cholesterol number, that's the number one thing you want to see. You could also have an ApoB if you can't get an LDL particle number. Um, I would get a vitamin D level, and this would be unsupplemented. This is going to tell me how much, basically, sun exposure you're getting and what your immune system is doing. It's huge. Thank you for saying that. And then I didn't say it in my 30-second uh, ramble, but I would have done a uh, thyroid panel. So, And I would have, if I said a lab, I can't say just TSH because that's not enough to truly indicate if your thyroid's working. So right. I would do a full thyroid panel. And then I probably would get a fasting insulin level because it's more sensitive than just checking a hemoglobin A1C or 90 to average blood sugar. Your insulin level, if it's excessively high, means your pancreas is working overtime trying to keep your blood sugar down. And for someone, so is, is optimal with this CT coronary calcium score zero? Yes. Okay. And then what, what do you, I mean, I guess you're getting people that are dealing with issues, but what, what would you say is like the average score that you see? I don't know if I have an average score, but uh, the all takers, you know, over the age of 40, six out of 10 people are going to have an abnormal score. And so anything under 100 is not necessarily high risk, but you're going to want to be more aggressive with your other risk factors. If you're over 400, you may even consider taking conventional medications to start lowering your risk. But there's a lot of other tools and tricks I can use. And you know, one of the things you're doing right there, the photobiomodulation, there's some super interesting data coming out of Israel and Russia on photobiomodulation and plaque regression. Um, so I'm teaching my patients that one-on-one that actually work with me. Um, but then, you know, I've seen patients in their 80s with calcium scores of zero. And I've seen a guy who was 48 years old. He had the highest score I'd ever seen. It was like 5,000 something. I ended up having to do a heart catheterization on him when I was still doing invasive procedures. That guy ended up getting like a four vessel bypass surgery at age 48. And if I didn't do the test, I wouldn't have known he was that high risk. Mm. All right. That's pretty wild. Do you believe that there is a connection? I, I mean, let's say some people are going to have the genes, right? That like load the gun, but do you believe that there is a connection with people who have not tended to their EMF environment? Like they're around a lot of Wi-Fi computers, they're on their phone a lot. Do you believe that those people will have a propensity to have a higher CT coronary calcium score? I believe that's probably likely. Um, you know, I have not, in my experience, seen any studies on that. But the way that the uh, the EMFs work is, a, you know, affects the uh, the voltage gated calcium channels, and that can potentially uh, worsen uh, my patients that you know come in with palpitations, heart racing sensations. You know, I not uncommonly see people, you know, with their guy, they keep their cell phone in their front pocket, or women are shoving it down in their bra. Mm -hmm. You know, the you know your phone has Bluetooth and Wi-Fi and you know cell tower signals in it, and that stuff 
it acts like a radar jammer to the mitochondria that are in your heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I had learned from Dr. Cruz about, the, you know, the melanopsin receptor. It's a blue light receptor. And it's not only in your eyes, it's on your skin, but it's also in your arteries. And so if you're in around an excessive amount of blue light, but this calls to include other uh, EMFs, including like 5G, if you mess up that, that melanopsin receptor, you will start to calcify certain things. So I know Cruz is, you know, at least recommending that the CT coronary calcium score is somewhat of a marker if, if uh, the EMF is affecting your, your arteries. Mm-hmm. Interesting. All right. That's cool. I didn't, I didn't know that. Um, do you take aspirin regularly in any form? Like I do. Maybe aspirin, regular aspirin. What's your take on aspirin? So in the right context, you've had a heart attack, stroke, stent, bypass surgery. You're going to have less events if you take the, the low-dose aspirin, 81 milligrams. And typically, if people are going to take aspirin, um, you know, obviously check with your doctor, don't start aspirin just because you heard me talking about on this. But aspirin is generally better taken in the evening time um, because your platelets are more reactive as you sleep, as the cortisol levels are changing overnight, so your blood is stickier. So take your aspirin in the evening time if you're going to take it. But uh, I typically will use the calcium score test or a CIMT. If your risk is low risk, aspirin's risk of bleeding outweighs any benefit. But if you've got a calcium score over 400 or you know a CIMT that's like one millimeter thick, then potentially aspirin might be beneficial at lowering your stroke risk initially, and then heart attack risk is a little bit less than that. One of your friends tells you uh, his doctor recommended statins. He gets on a statin. Um, you're behind closed doors. What do you tell him? So, you know, statins are, you know, a tool. And this is something that probably, you know, before I got into the kind of the biohacking quantum scene was, you know, the number one thing that, you know, patients would get referred into me by that either they took a statin, couldn't tolerate it, or just chose that they didn't want to take a statin. And I was the one who said, well, there's some other options for you. So first off, decide, does the patient even, you know, qualify or would benefit from being on a statin? So somebody with a calcium score of zero, a CMT normal, and it's a, you know, 40-year-old woman, and they have, quote, high cholesterol, you're going to potentially do more harm to that person than benefit. So don't start them on the stand in the first place. But again, secondary prevention, you know, somebody's had their chest cracked open and bypass surgery, they got a bunch of stents. The stands are a tool that lower inflammation, stabilizes plaque, likely reduces further events. So it's, you know, I'm not a, you know, nobody should be on stands or they think everybody should be on stands. It's, you know, an individualized story. But you know, one thing that I will do in this comprehensive blood work panel is figure out if people are on stands and they don't tolerate it, why? One of the biggest things is they're vitamin D deficient. If they're vitamin D deficient, you're almost always not going to tolerate the high-dose statins. Or your thyroid is under-regulated, so you're hypothyroid, you're more likely to have issues. Then I will frequently check a gene called APOE. If your APOE gene is a 4, you're not likely to tolerate the high-dose statins. And those are also the people that actually don't tolerate keto type diets. They don't, you know, they don't process fats as effectively as people who have an APOE3 gene. Um, and then also to kind of check their, their sex hormones, you know, if they're hypogonad and, you know, their you know, testosterone's, you know, hundred, you know, throwing somebody on a set on that point, this is already showing you that they're having a really hard time using cholesterol, turning it into their sex hormones. So I'll kind of dive deep into, you know, you know, would this person even tolerate certain statins. And there's certain statins that, you know, are water soluble, so they don't cross the blood brain barrier. So there's probably a little theoretical less risk of the side effects from them. So I'm um, very individualized, you know, depending on what the, what the patient's context is. But do I personally take statin? No, my numbers aren't that bad. And I have a calcium score of zero and I, you know, my CMT, my vascular age is under my biologic age. Mm-hmm. Have you, have you recommended strophanthus or used it or read any of the research on it for no, no um, I've, I've heard of it, but I have not uh, done any deep research in it. 
Yeah. Okay. Um, cool. What do you use and recommend? You mentioned saunas. Do you use and recommend niacin for people in order to um, lower blood pressure or improve cardiovascular health? So I will use niacin um, for the right context. Um, now, do I recommend it before people go into saunas? That's kind of an advanced biohacker type you know, thing. You're, you're likely going to flush and you're going to sweat sweat your ass off if you're taking niacin before a sauna. Um, so be very careful if you're doing that. So yeah, definitely know your blood pressure ahead of time before doing that. But niacin's biggest effect was, you know, prior to the, the stands really um, taking off, um, niacin had effects on lowering heart attack risk in people. But it kind of fell out of favor with a couple of trials that may have not really been that well done. And they were you know, throwing niacin on people who are already on maximal doses of statins. So it didn't really show a huge benefit. But if somebody has extremely low HDL and extremely high triglycerides, the main effect is that it's lowering the triglyceride. It hasn't really been shown that raising HDL with anything other than lifestyle has really benefited people. But one place where I will sometimes still use a lot of niacin will be with patients with LP little a or lipoprotein A. There's not great data yet that if you lower LP little a with niacin that you're lowering the risk of a heart attack or stroke. It's more theoretical at this point. There is a pharmaceutical company working on a... Uh, Antisense oleonucleotide, ASO is going to be the name of the uh, class of medications. It's an injectable medicine that is you know, shown to be fairly safe, and it's also lowering the lipoprotein A levels by like 80% in certain populations. And so this is a potential you know, game changer for that type of population. You know, It's not a statin, and it's going to work specifically on lowering lipoprotein A. And this trial is you know, expected to come out uh, in early uh, 2024. So for certain patients right now, you know, if they have a calcium score greater than zero or a SAMT that's abnormal, and they have that lipoprotein A, I give them the, the kind of the discussion like niacin might help you, but we don't have data just yet, and let them kind of decide if they want to start it. Do you have any – great answer, by the way. Do you have any thoughts on metformin uh, – as a, a therapy or an intervention for cardiovascular health? For sure. And that, that, that's a great question. And um, I've probably been using metformin, you know, as a cardiologist, you know, since I got a training, I used definitely was an internist. Um, but uh, I probably, you know, in the St. Louis area, probably have the, the most prescriptions for metformin as a cardiologist by far, because I don't believe in waiting for somebody to have the full-blown disease. You know, by the time somebody has diabetes, the, the beta cells in their pancreas are, you know, 50% burnt out and you're not going to get those back. So metformin might not work great once you've waited too long. So I'm much more comfortable using it early on when somebody's pre-diabetic or insulin resistant and working on the circadian rhythm, you know, management and making sure you get an optimal protein and resistance training, all the things that are known to lower your blood sugar. But metformin can make your body use insulin more effectively. And one of the interesting ways is that uh, metformin probably works is that it's actually making the mitochondria autophagy and apoptosis process work better. So you take out the uh, the bad engines at nighttime and then the more effective mitochondria are working. But I know for some of the biohackers, here's the concern that it does impact your uh, exercise capacity. Um, so potentially for people who are using it for the longevity purposes, uh, they may want to kind of cycle in and out of metformin, you know, not taking it every day of the week, especially the days that they're going to do, you know, hit training or some, you know, super strong, you know, resistance training that day. Maybe they don't take metformin those days. 
Yeah. What would that look like? So for someone, for someone like me, I've, I've played around with metformin, but I think the last time that I did, I was probably working on the biohackers guide in like 2015. Um, for someone like me, whose blood sugar is pretty good, but I am interested in some of the research and some of the positive changes, especially with like autophagy and possibly mm -hmm. mitophagy, what would a dosage look like and, and, and dosing schedule on a given week? And it's going to sort of depend on, you know, what your goals are with that. But like, if you're not insulin resistant, you know, typical dose is generally 500 milligrams twice a day, you know, potentially a thousand milligrams twice a day maximum. Um, and then, you know, a couple of days a week. And, you know, I, a couple of weeks ago was doing, uh, you know, on my Instagram stories, I had a, you know, 24 hour glucose monitor and I was just monitoring, you know, what things were the things that mostly drove my blood sugar. And honestly, it was mostly, uh, resistance training. I didn't realize how much resistance training was actually pushing up my blood sugar, which is normal. And that's what you actually expect, but it really wasn't food stuff. So that was driving it up. Um, at some point I would actually like to do a kind of a blue light hack and just like not wear the glasses I haven't done in three years. So I don't know if I'm really willing to soak up a bunch of blue light to see how bad my blood sugar will be, but maybe I'll do it for a posterity's sake and teach people something. Um, but if my insulin level, I'm sorry. Kind of like fit to fat to fit, but yeah, with much, your yeah. mitochondria. Right, yeah, like mess up your <laughs> mitochondria and then fix them back up again. Yeah. Um, but if you, if I'm, you know, I'm not insulin resistant, but if I was, you know, I wouldn't have much uh, concern about taking metformin and, you know, at least in the short term while I'm trying to fix the insulin resistance. This episode of the Biohacking Secrets Show is brought to you by Veritas Farms and their full line of CBD products, CBD standing for cannabidiol. Now, we are real excited about this partnership because Veritas means truth in Latin, and we are big believers in bringing you guys the truth, not just through this podcast, but by making sure that any products that we share or that we bring on as sponsors are products that we personally use, believe in, and endorse ourselves. And that is the case with Veritas Farms and their full line of CBD products. The reason that they're so great, they are full spectrum hemp products, meaning that they have all of the beneficial phytonutrients that you get in a quality CBD product. 99% of the CBD products on the market are CBD isolate, and they're just being resold, meaning they're coming from a few small manufacturers. They've only got one tiny part of all of the important phytonutrients that you need to get the benefits you want from a CBD product, and they're just a bunch of different companies reselling them. Veritas Farms is vertically integrated, meaning they own the farm. They ensure that there are no pesticides being added. It's organic, and then they control the entire process from harvesting to extraction until that product ends up at your door. That's what I love it. It's kind of like farm to table, but for CBD. And the benefits that I've noticed, my sleep is better. I feel like I get a deeper, more restful night's sleep. I'm less stressed. I never have periods of anxiety. I feel calm and focused throughout the day, and it even decreases in inflammation when I have flights or other things where inflammation is an inevitable part of life. You take a little extra CBD and it can be very helpful for stress, anxiety, sleep, and that inflammation. So if you guys want to check it out, we've arranged a 15% discount for you guys. To get that, you can go to theveritasfarms.com forward slash biohacks. I'll spell it out. T-H-E-V-E-R-I-T-A-S-F-A-R-M-S.com forward slash B-I-O-H-A-C-K-S to save 15%. Check out the Veritas Farms CBD. You guys are going to absolutely love it. Do you see any downside to someone like me taking, If I mean, I would even consider 500 milligrams, like just three times a week, like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I take 500 milligrams of, of metformin. 
I don't know. I don't necessarily think it's, you know, a big harm, you know, doing that. You know, I know uh, David Sinclair is kind of the big guy that's, you know, done a lot of research on that. And I know he personally still takes metformin, at least according to his most recent book, the longevity book that I recently looked through. Um, you know, I've personally not uh, played around with it. I've, you know, that was my next question. I had starts and fits <laughs> where I thought I was going to do it, but I just not ever really had pulled the trigger. Um, I'm not afraid to take it. I just didn't know what necessarily benefit I was going to get at that point. You know, I have a you know, side story, you know, Unfortunately, it comes down through my dad's side, but I had a great grandmother make it to 106. She was, you know, she was born in 1893. She passed away in 2000. So 106 years. You know, she was born with like Grover Cleveland was the president. So I would tell people, you know, my goal is to like beat her ass. I want to get to like at least 107. So if I can get to 107, I beat her record. Um, so I'm going to have to do a lot of things. So maybe at some point I'm going to have to actually, uh, you know, get interested and take the metformin. But uh, I haven't yet seen it uh, enough benefit for myself to take it. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. All right. I appreciate that perspective. Um, <clears throat> you have just based on the, the, the type of people that you see, right. Uh, what are your top five supplement recommendations for heart health? So again, it's always going to be dependent and it's, you know, I've actually gone away from doing a lot of supplements. I really want to show that somebody is truly deficient and they haven't been able to replace it with, you know, what they're doing in their lifestyle. But I'd probably say, you know, the top supplements I see people on, you know, from a quote, cholesterol standpoint, no. Uh, bergamot is something that I, you know, use not infrequently. Bergamot? Yeah, it lowers cholesterol in the pathway similar to the way the statins do and doesn't have the same side effects. Uh, berberine, which also can somewhat act like metformin, lowers mm-hmm. blood sugar, but also can lower cholesterol. Um, still use niacin for lipoprotein A. Um, I still will supplement certain people with omega-3, but I really want them to get it through seafood because when you get it through seafood, it actually gets assimilated into your retina and your brain the right way taking by pill might not work the way you're expecting it to and then you know vitamin d is infrequent i mean if somebody's vitamin d levels in the low teens i will supplement them to get them up above 30 but i want them outside i want them to get out of your damn house do you hear me (laughs) so those are my top five i probably would use routinely and then there's a couple things that i'll use you know people have a lot of plaque in their arteries you know vitamin k2 mk7 can help keep calcium out of the arteries Kylo garlic can you know help with plaque regression, and then now I'm really just trying to get into the photobiomodulation. You know, using using red light therapy to stabilize plaque. What and we're, I'm going to ask you about that next. I promise. The uh, what what brand do you use for ber- bergamot? If I wanted to check that out, or one of the um, listeners wanted to check that out. There's really only a couple manufacturers, of it, and I don't have a uh, absolute preferred brand. But um, yeah, most of the data um, is out of uh, Italy um, because it's a uh, you know, bergamot is a citrus fruit is you know similar to a lemon or lime and they use the rind mm-hmm. and uh, there's uh, some compound in it that uh, it blocks the uh, hmg coa reductase enzyme in the liver it's the same spot that the statins affect but does not affect the coq10 cycle or the glucose and all the other things that sometimes the statins can affect that's that's pretty interesting okay and um what are your three most frequently frequently eaten forms of omega-3 Personally, it would be salmon, oysters, and tuna. Do you do the canned oysters or fresh? I like, yeah, I prefer the fresh. Um, but uh, the funny thing is, like, uh, when the, the pandemic was hitting here and, you know, the, the grocery stores are all bare of, like, everything, uh, at least here in St. Louis, like, nobody was hitting the, like, canned seafood aisle. So then I stocked up on sardines and oysters and everything because, they had, like, who knows? Like, you know, potentially it was the end of the world in mid-March. So I had enough omega-3s to last me quite a while. And then like, when we realized it wasn't going to be horrible, my wife's like, we need to eat this stuff. So, <laughs> yeah, so we had a 
ton of, uh, you know, canned oysters for a little while, but uh, um, still have some in the uh, strategic stockpile. Lovely. All right, let's talk about photobiomodulation. Where, what, what does it, what does it mean for the people that aren't familiar, and what are the ways that uh, let's, let's let's discuss good and bad. So photobiomodulation, previously known as LLLT or low-level light therapy or low-level laser therapy, is how do you use light to affect your biology generally in a positive way. Um, and most of the photobiomodulation is going to be with red light or infrared light. Um, and there's different manufacturers of these boxes. And you know, sauna is a type in ways photobiomodulation, but it's mostly the red light that we're speaking of. And there's, you know, best way to think about it is that the red light charges up your batteries. There's a, you know, the cytochrome C oxidase in your mitochondria um, absorbs this red light and it kicks off nitric oxide from that process. The nitric oxide then dilates your blood vessels, prevents stuff from sticking to your blood vessels. But the red light spins something called the ATPase, the, the fifth cytochrome, and it basically gives you energy when that thing spins, more ATP comes out of it. Um, and then, you know, it's not something I would say is mainstream, but you know, at least what I you know, suspect is true from reading uh, Gerald Pollack's work is that red light and, you know, UV light you know, will charge, separate water, especially the water that's inside your cells. And so you're basically making a battery inside your cells with this red light. And so it's another source of energy for your cells other than the food that you're eating. So photobiomodulation can charge up things that aren't working. Most of the data is in musculoskeletal things, you know, or wound healing. That's kind of where the majority of the data is. But in the you know, cardiovascular world, there is data that it helps with angina, decreasing chest pain, may help with cardiomyopathies or weakened hearts. And just this weekend, I was reading some you know, crazy you know, uh, dog studies where they were causing heart attacks in animals, and then they were treating them during the heart attack with red light therapy. And then like three days later, and the animals that got treated with red light therapy had basically heart attacks that were half as, half as large as the other ones. Um, the, the authors ended up doing a study, a very small study in humans. Um, and the people got traditional care, you know, they all got stented. They were having the worst kind of heart attacks, the STEMI heart attack. But they were shining the red light on their tibia, which was fascinating because, you know, your tibia is pretty far away from your heart. But the red light was stimulating the, uh, the stem cells, the mesenchymal stem cells in the bone marrow and the tibia. And then those stem cells were migrating to the heart and taking care of the problem. Yeah, it showed it's fascinating. Yeah, it was awesome. It was the greatest study I've ever read on like heart disease. And <laughs> yeah, I was amazing. like, I would do this all day long. The problem is like, there's no hospital in the world that's going to let me come into a hospital and treat people with red light while they're having a heart attack, even though they showed it was completely safe. Yeah. Um, and they only did it in like 12 people. Um, you know, they showed that they had smaller heart attacks at that time. You know, the, there's a test called troponin. Troponin is not supposed to be elevated in your blood. It's a marker that the heart cells are damaged. Um, and the troponin levels were significantly decreased. Um, but at nine months, the people had basically the same heart function. So it didn't show that you know, the heart function was better than somebody who didn't get treated. Maybe it's just the small sample size and they'd have to do it in bigger people or bigger, bigger population of people, but it's low risk. So you know, if I have a patient, and I can tell you, I've had you know, on my hands, you know, how many patients have had a heart attack working with me in the past couple of years because if they get their circadian rhythm set up and lower the inflammation, the, the risk goes way down. It's usually something really weird that we find when somebody has a heart attack or they're not following what I'm talking about. But I would tell them that, you know, if you have a heart attack, you need to get a red light panel. You also need to get your ass out in the sun and soak up as much red light as you can from the sun to recharge, you know, the batteries that have been depleted from the heart attack. 
Yeah, very interesting. Uh, I, just as a side note, a little bit of a tangent, but um, we recently had myself and then my father, my, my dad was diagnosed with Parkinson's in uh, 2015. And he's had along the way a little bit of like um, heart murmurs, regular heartbeats, that sort of thing. He had a pacemaker put in a long time ago. Um, and then my brother, all of us have been doing, well, I finished my, uh, a little bit ago, uh, transcranial magnetic stimulation mm -hmm. and finding that very helpful. And it's just got me thinking about like, if that is another, another way to sort of help, uh, restore the body's redox potential, especially if it's reduced in you know, in the brain and like where, if you hit this from a lot of different angles where like you decrease the stuff that's draining you. You know, not just the toxins and the food choices. We know about those, but, you know, some of the some of the things like you're not you, you tend to your home environment and the way that you're using technology, your blue light blocking glasses. And then you do that. You get out more in the sun. Maybe give yourself a little bit of a boost, especially if you've dealt with depression or anxiety or obsessive compulsive disorder with uh, a tool like transcranial magnetic stimulation. We use the Brainsway machine and you can pretty quickly get your redox potential back up and restore normal function in a biological system that's incredibly resilient uh, when we give it the right tools and kind of get out of our own way. For sure, for sure. And I don't have personal experience with you know TCM, but I know you know Dr. Cruz uses it not uncommonly. Um, oh, he does. Uh, yeah, he does. I don't know uh, Cruz and then, and then the the people that make the the Weber laser, they yeah. literally just released the Weber helmet. The thing looks yeah. awesome. I I got to figure out if I want to pull the trigger and get it from my office. But um, it looks like you know a helmet has a bunch of different uh, infrared uh, LEDs in. It. I believe it's eight hundred ten nanometers because yeah. the, the infrared can penetrate the skull like. I think they said like five centimeters. Yeah. So we can hit, hit a decent amount of the brain. Um, and they were definitely using in Parkinson's and, you know, Alzheimer's patients because, you know, if the mitochondria are, you know, dysfunctional in the brain, you can potentially use the photobomb modulation to kind of charge up those mitochondria. So, Well, uh, were they getting good results with their helmet and people with like neurodegenerative disease? That's what, it, that's what it appears to be. And, you know, especially for patients who've had strokes, even if the strokes are in the remote past, they're still getting some benefit with it. They're showing uh, some, you know, interest in like for depression, you know, because it may be a lot of, not saying all depression, but, you know, a lot of depression may be affected by inflammation of the brain, you know, red light and if red light lowers inflammation. So, um, so without there being a lot of risk of it, I think I, you know, might start uh, using it on more patients, you know, even though that's not necessarily my area of expertise, I tell people, you know, I'm a cardiologist, but I have a great interest in, you know, how your mitochondria work. And if I can get the ones that work in your heart better, the ones in your brain are going to work better too. For sure. For sure. What, what are they asking for that helmet? It's, it looks like close to 3000 bucks. Okay. I was expecting it could have, it could have been worse. Um, is, is you said it's mostly 810 nanometers, which is like the infrared and then red, I would guess. I, I don't know if it, I don't think it actually has any particular red in it because they did most of their data on the infrared spectrum for it because they didn't have that the red would penetrate the skull that much. Have you seen any of the Vidalite technology? So the guy like the intranasal. So the guy who I listened to the lecture to this weekend, he was talking about he had the, the Vilite and that's what he was doing for himself because he had a couple of TBIs or traumatic brain injuries. Um, but then with the, the Weber one came out, he switched over to using that because it was just a little bit easier for him to use. But and that they have decent data on the, the Vilite as well. Yeah. Did he say he liked the Weber more? Uh, I think he just recently uh, was started just, using it. And I think it literally just got released to uh, you know, being able to be purchased within the past you know couple of weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Awesome. Um, sorry. I was lost my train of thought getting into photobiomodulation. So you, you have your, your uh, clients 
where the glass is, you know, to align with the rising and setting of the sun. So like if it's past sunset, you're wearing the glasses and not exposing yourself to much artificial light. And then if you wake up before sunrise, those glasses go on again, not exposing yourself to much artificial light. And then you're getting sun during the day. Anything else that they would need to do on the photobiomodulation side as it pertains to heart health? Those are the main things, you know, if you're getting outside and you're getting appropriate sun, you don't necessarily need to, you know, to, to fire up the, the big uh, photobiomodulation devices if you're relatively healthy. But, you know, if you have high blood pressure, you have, you know, coronary disease or, you know, your CMT is abnormal, you know, then maybe you want to get, you know, you know, Neomar deck or another kind of high quality brand of photobiomodulation device and use it. Um, but the other big thing after, you know, kind of your light is always, you know, the timing that the nutrients come into the system. So that's kind of the, you know, the two-edged sword of the circadian system that I kind of talk about, like, you know, you really asked me about, you know, veganism, you know, I'm more actually concerned about the timing that the nutrients are coming in the system than what exactly people are putting in the system. So the big believer in the circadian code, you know, story that Dr. Panda's book, uh, you know, put out, you know, a year or two ago, you know, trying to keep people into a 12 hour feeding window or less, ideally 10 hours or less. They've seen that with full. Alzheimer's risk too. Yeah. And, you know, trying to get that window tightened. And if they get that down, their sleep quality improves and their sleep improves. And that's when your mitochondria are repairing themselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Fascinating. Um, sorry, I'm like dozing off. Well, uh -huh. I'm like enjoying our conversation and not, uh, <laughs> um, any, any other changes on the photobiomodulation or blue light hazard side? We talked about the EMR tech. I've, I've sat with this thing for an exorbitant amount of time during our interview. Usually I don't do it quite this long, but I said, why not? Let's try it. Um, any other recommendations for someone that wants to really dial in their circadian rhythm quickly? Quickly, it's basically rise with the sun and go to sleep shortly after the sun sets. That's the number one trick. You know, people try to sometimes get into like with me at the office, like, well, are the, how important are the glasses? And if I get the red light, I'm like, those things are awesome. But if you don't have the sun in the morning to set the cycle, you're not going to get optimal results. So you know, you know, if you're somebody waking up at 9 a.m., yeah, you're probably not getting up at 5 a.m. You know, right away, but you're willing to ultimately try to dial your way back where you're seeing that morning sun, you know, that first half hour of sunlight. Great stuff. This uh, you've packed a lot into this, and I'm looking. I don't. I don't have any more notes or questions right now. Is there? Um, before we kind of go to where people can stay up to date with things that you're working on and cool projects and how to work with you, is there anything else that you feel compelled to share with our listeners around cardiovascular health or biohacking or, or anything right now? So I you know, always start with, you know, that, you know, mother nature is wise and, you know, get out of her way and your body has a good chance of healing. You know, yes, there's going to be times maybe you need acute cardiovascular care and, you know, you're going to need somebody in the hospital to put you back together. But once that's done, then you got to figure out what was breaking you and something usually in your environment. So focus on your circadian rhythms first, because that's usually the biggest bang for the buck. Once you get that dialed in, then you can kind of figure out, you know, with advanced blood work or whatever, you know, what else might be driving your risk. So always kind of reconnect with nature. That's always going to be the number one thing. It's, you know, it's light water magnetism. So um, that's, the, that's usually my kind of recommendations for people. Sage advice, sage advice. And for someone that wants to explore working with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Great. So I'm uh, in St. Louis, Missouri. I have a practice of polycardiology that I started last year. It's focused on heart attack and stroke prevention. I do work with patients remotely uh, doing telemedicine um, or at least second opinion and educational consults. You know, if I can't 
personally prescribe things for you or labs because of whatever state you're in, I can at least give you an idea of like, well, these are things I would consider getting done. Talk to your doctors there and they'll, they should be able to order them for you. Um, you know, I'm fairly active on Instagram. My handle's uh, Dr. Twyman, Dr. Twyman. And usually on my stories, I you know, show them what kind of biohacks I'm doing. Right now, I'm mostly talking about my heart rate variability. And today I was talking about nitric oxide. Um, and then my website is drtwyman.com. It has links to all my prior kind of uh, videos and podcasts and had a good talk recently. I did a talk at uh, Dr. Cruz's uh, 4th of July event and did the three optimal heart tests you should get, the calcium score, the CMT, the endopad, and then do start going to kind of the basics of photobiomodulation. But we obviously uh, went deeper in photobiomodulation than this, but it's a good intro to people who haven't uh, seen my work before. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, Dr. Twyman, this has been a fun conversation. I feel like you crushed it. And I, I believe that our listeners are going to get a lot of value from it. So thank you. Well, thank you very much for having me. It was awesome. What's up, guys? Anthony here. And thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Biohacking Secrets Show. One of my favorite things to do is helping men and women like you feel what it's like with the body you've always wanted and all day energy that starts the moment you wake up and doesn't quit. Over the past decade, we've created a proprietary health assessment that helps me to identify the unique toxicities and deficiencies that may be holding you back from the life that you deserve. And what we've discovered in doing this with now thousands of CEOs, executives, professional athletes, businessmen, Hollywood celebrities, and entrepreneurs is that there's always room for improvement and optimization. Whether you're already performing at a high level or you have that feeling inside your heart that you're capable of more, the single fastest way to unlock your potential is to upgrade your mind and your body. And there's no program on earth that does that faster or to a greater magnitude than our one-on-one consulting program at www.biohackingsecrets.com forward slash coaching. We start with our proprietary health assessment that screens you for vitamin deficiencies like A, D, magnesium, iron, etc., high cholesterol and heart disease, high blood pressure, digestive disorders, hidden infections like Lyme, Epstein-Barr, parasites, SIBO, candida, and more that can just drain your energy in the background, especially if you don't know about them. Anxiety, depression, and cognitive disorders, autoimmune disease, adrenal fatigue, thyroid issues, mold toxicity, heavy metals, environmental toxins, and other genetic risk factors like MTHFR, APOE status, your glutathione production, and many more. We even recommend the specific tests that I use with my one-on-one clients if they're relevant for you in figuring out your biological age and identifying those key areas and opportunities that can take your life to the next level. From there, we create a customized game plan along with a personalized supplement protocol to help you optimize your weight and energy at the cellular level. And for our platinum clients, we even include a personalized workshop with me in Delray Beach, Florida. Most of the year, this program's full with a waiting list, but we just had a couple spots open up and I wanted to offer them to the listeners of the Biohacking Secrets show first. So if you're interested in seeing what it might look like for us to work together, head over to www.biohackingsecrets.com forward slash coaching. That's www.biohackingsecrets.com forward slash C-O-A-C-H-I-N-G and fill out the short application form. If you're pre-approved, you'll be given the opportunity to book a time to connect with someone on our team and see if it's a fit. Thank you so much for being a part of this community, and I look forward to potentially going on this journey together. 